This podcast talks about breast cancer. These are our personal stories, and we are not mental health professionals. This is not a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be relied on as health or personal advice. Hi, thank you for listening to And Life Happened. Today we have Jessica here to talk to you about her story about breast cancer and the resiliency from that. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Samantha. So let's first start out, if you don't mind, if you could just kind of tell us your story. Um, What happened, any kind of feelings and emotions, share all of that information with us, whatever you're comfortable with. Okay. Um, I think I'll start out by um, sharing how I learned about my cancer. Um, I actually had a friend that shared on social media an image of lemons in an egg crate um, like you would get at the grocery store but it was lemons and it said know your lemons and it had 12 different uh, visualizations of or visuals of how breast cancer can take shape or represent in your tissue and um, I was (laughs) scrolling through social media saw it thought it was pretty interesting took a look at it went about my day Um, two weeks later I was getting out of the shower and just crossed my arms and happened to glance up at the mirror and saw that I had a little dent in my left breast. It was very small. It was on the outside edge, um, uh, smaller than a thumbprint, maybe more like a pinky print. It was very small. Mm. And I went and grabbed the image. I scrolled back to her account and zoomed in and it was one of the signs so I made an appointment with my doctor I had just turned 40 years old um, made an appointment showed my doctor and he said you know what I think you're fine Um, I pushed for an appointment and they scheduled it he said well you are 40 so we'll get you um, some diagnostic imaging and um, and he said but I, I really think you're fine and I went in the next week and Um, pretty quickly, unofficially, I knew I had breast cancer. Oh, Jessica, I just, I am taken aback that your doctor just kept telling you you're fine and didn't acknowledge what you were coming to him or her about, and you had to push for an appointment. Yeah, and that is a whole story in and of itself. Um, I'll give you a little bit of history on that. Um, Two and a half years earlier, roughly, I had gone to the doctor's same office and was explaining to them that I was really tired and just sluggish. I couldn't work out anymore. If I did, I would be down for the rest of the day. I just was really tired and my joints ached and I just felt wrong. Something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And the doctor at that point said, "Um, well, do you sleep in the same room as your husband? And I said, yes. And she said, does he snore? And I laughed, yes. Does he keep you up at night? Yes. Well, then we're not going to run any diagnostic testing on your hormones or see if you have cancer because you're not getting a good night's sleep. Hmm. Don't sleep in the same room with him, and we'll once we get you sleeping through the night, then we'll check your levels. And that was two and a half years prior to this exchange. And it turned out that I had had the cancer for quite a while. I, I you know, you see so much resilience in you with 
um, your ability to keep pushing to advocate for yourself. Um, two and a half years earlier, you're facing similar battles. You know, somebody telling you, "Oh no, it's not. Mm-hmm. It, it it can't be that. It's it's all of these other things." And and you just continuing to push, knowing something's not right. Mm-hmm. Um, like, how did you how did you find that in you to keep? pushing forward or to keep pushing just advocate for yourself well you know there was this this time was a little different um I do think it was all the same illness possibly you know over time it was just wearing me down but Mm -hmm. this time I knew when I saw it in the mirror I knew I didn't have a doubt that I had cancer and I knew that this time he would listen so he was polite, um, but he, you know, it was almost a cross between blowing me off versus making me feel better. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're fine can also be, you know, just maybe he really thought that I was fine and I would go in and it would be nothing. But I ended up having um, very small tumors spread over six to seven inches of my left breast. And they had, it had taken quite a while to get there, years. Um, this is much later, but when I met my, my breast cancer surgeon, he said, it's okay, calm down. You're not going to explode with cancer. This has been here for years, possibly decades. Hmm. So I knew at that point I finally was going to get some resolution. Um, but I do want to circle back to the know your limits thing, because if I hadn't had that, um, I wouldn't have known. I, I don't think I would have seen anything wrong with the tiny dent that I had in my breast. And so um, I do want to give one more little plug-in for that because it's an organization that's run completely by um, – it's a non-for-profit organization. It is mainly to help women in um, countries where there isn't great access to medical care identify their own breast cancer early enough that there could something that they can be done about it. Uh, it just happened to circulate in the United States as well. And I, I will share it every few months so that friends also know to take a look. Um, and I share my story and I share a picture of the lemons and how I discovered my cancer because I think it's so important that everyone knows to be their own advocate here. Yeah, uh, I, I know you said, you just said that, you know, this was something that was developed for undeveloped countries, and yet it's something that's critical to your own story um, in a very developed country where right. you, where mm-hmm. then you had to push ahead yourself and advocate for yourself based on seeing this image that um, was made for people without access to quality health care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So, so, you know, your, your doctor says, calm down. You're not, you're not, (laughs) you're not going to explode. I, I, you know, like, how do you, you've got this new, you've been battling this battle for two and a half years, right? You knew something was off. You're, you're then pushing your doctor to get tests. You get the tests and you're in this place, you know, where I don't know how to describe it except daunting. I, and I'm sure you have a million words and maybe none for it. Um, what do you, what do you do? How do you, 
<laughs> well, I will say, so the doctor that said, don't worry, you're not going to explode with cancer. He was amazing. He was a different mm-hmm. doctor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he, his wife had just had breast cancer as well. So he had experienced mm-hmm. it from the doctor side for decades and then from the patient side as far as his wife having it. So he's amazing. Um, but when it comes to the initial diagnosis, there's, and this is what I share with people all the time, because now that I've had it and I share about it, um, I do have people, complete strangers reaching out to me just to, to have an ear or to ask questions, um, what to expect or how did I handle X, you know, this test or this surgery or this, you know, what did I choose to do here? Um, but I, I will share that the scariest part about cancer is the, is for me was between being told I have cancer to when I started treatment for cancer. And my treatment was, um, not as expansive as some may have. Um, and mine took, um, I think it was February 1st. I, it was official. The results came back in, the biopsy came back in and there was cancer. And then February 28th, I had my double mastectomy, but between all of that time and it's only four weeks. Um, and it was only July or I'm sorry, January 27th when they said, yes, we think this is possibly cancer. We need to have a biopsy. So from July 27th to February 28th, that's the longest period of your life where the waiting is just the most difficult. So I do talk about that a lot with other um, people that reach out to me to share their cancer stories. Um, The wait is the scariest part. So I have a funny story that I like to share with people that I had. When I tell this story in my head, I don't cry. (laughs) And it's okay that you do, right? Like, it's okay. Yeah. So, whew. so some of my darker, scarier moments were part of the uh, what if um, mm-hmm. moments. And so I developed a very weird, just very silly thing that I would do. And I don't know if um, you can envision, remember the squatty potty um, unicorn who pooped unicorn ice cream. And um, and then the, the little prince or whatever he was picked up the ice cream and would eat it. I, as soon as I would start to feel myself slipping into a, a place of gloom and doom, because it is a very scary time, I would picture the unicorn and I would actually say to myself, um, rainbow pooping unicorn, rainbow pooping unicorn. And you can't not laugh when you're saying rainbow pooping unicorn. And so... That was how I um, made it through some of those those darker times where if I felt myself catastrophizing, um, because I did, I started planning my funeral and what am I mm-hmm. going to say to my kids and all those things. And um, so rainbow pooping unicorn became a thing around our house. And after my mastectomies, um, we did a meal train. And one of my friends who had heard the rainbow pooping unicorn story she also was a baker and she brought me cupcakes that looked just like the rainbow <laughs> pooping unicorn ice cream. Um, and so I didn't catch it. I was really tired. Right. And you know, she dropped off her stuff and said hello. And I didn't, I don't even think I got off the couch 
And so later, you know, I was texting her, thank you. And I'd just eaten dinner. And she goes, did you see the cupcakes? Did you see the cupcakes? And I laughed so hard when I saw them because um, you can't not smile when those commercials would come on. And so I advocate for people to find something that is wacky or just something that brings a smile to their face when they start to go doom and gloom. And there's lots of different techniques. Some people use a rubber band on the wrist. Other people use, you know, taking a walk. At that moment in my in my journey, I used the rainbow pooping unicorn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I still chuckle at him. Um, and I did. I said it quite often. Rainbow pooping unicorn. Rainbow pooping unicorn. Rainbow pooping unicorn. Um, and... That little guy got me through a lot of tough times. I I'll, sometimes I think I should reach out to them and ask if they need an ambassador, a brand ambassador. <laughs> <laughs> I would totally go around and tell that story to people and and wear a shirt with a rainbow pooping unicorn on it if I could. Yeah, that um, that gives a whole picture for me that I just can't <laughs> unsee now. <laughs> I know, rainbow pooping unicorn. <laughs> Uh, and I just keep seeing like bright rainbows in the darkness, like hearing you talk about just the contradiction of being, you know, in that dark and scary place and then, you know, trying to find something to like help almost pull you out of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because you can't really get out of it. You're kind of stuck there, you know. You uh, are stuck understandably. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have, um, I have a couple instances like that. Um. So obviously the rainbow pooping unicorn is not currently my thing. I mean, I could, (laughs) I could keep it forever, but it's not readily available. It's not, you know, I don't see it on TV anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so um, another thing that I did was when I went in to meet my oncologist, so you meet a lot of different people, you have a lot of different doctors um, and she had reviewed the results of my mastectomy. No, I'm sorry. She had reviewed the results of my breast MRI. And she she came in like a whirlwind, you know, because they're there for just a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. burst in the door like a whirlwind, and she started talking to me, and she said, wait, hold on. And she ran out the door, little tiny lady, um, bundle of energy runs out the door comes back with a painting from a different office from a different um patient room and held it up and it was a dandelion on a hill or something and it was just you could see that the breeze had passed through it and so pieces of it were floating away and she said this is your breast cancer and it is as if somebody blew on a tumor and you have little pieces of it that have scattered across six to seven inches of your breast and you would think that that would make dandelions off limits for me, hmm. but dandelions are now my visualization technique for many things. Um, if I feel myself starting to stress out, I breathe and I envision that I'm blowing on the dandelion and blowing the stress away. Um, when I was stressing about my cancer, I envisioned that the wind was carrying the cancer away. And so the mastectomy was carrying the cancer away. And I still to this day use dandelions. So my sister um, got me a beautiful, I don't know how in the world they were able to create it. Um, um, but it's a, it's an encased dandelion. And 
it it's amazing, but it sits right on my desk. So when I start to feel any type of emotion of whatever, you know, we all catastrophize other things. Um, I will look at that and I know that, um, I can accomplish anything. And I just take that moment and I breathe and I recenter. And so my dandelion that was my breast cancer is now my, um, I don't want to say mantra. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but it is my visualization to peace. Um, I use it often. So powerful to take something that could have been um, such a negative image uh, and really tr- it's it's something of strength for you now. Yep. I, I'm looking for the, uh, the, ch- the dandelion drawing that speaks to me enough to put it on as a tattoo. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they're harder to tattoo. So I've been looking for one. Um, but that leads me to another tattoo story. Um, so I had my mastectomy um, on February, February 28th, um, bilateral. And then three weeks later, we were already scheduled to go to Hawaii. And we were going to celebrate the life of my father's girl, longtime girlfriend. Um, I, I barely remember a time before she was in our lives. It, I mean, they were together a very long time. And she had passed away six or seven months prior to my diagnosis. She had passed away from cancer as well. And um, so we were going to Hawaii to celebrate her life as a family. And... I knew going there I was going to get a tattoo um, for her to honor her. She loved butterflies. So I said to my kids in Hawaii, I said, um, draw me a butterfly tattoo to represent her. And her initials were JJ. And my, my son drew a very, very beautiful butterfly. And um, her twin, his twin sister came up and drew a butterfly with a J and a backwards J and I went that's it because it represented her and it represented the butterfly and um then my family my dad and my aunt and my kids and my husband were there and my my family said you know that's you as well mm-hmm. it's both your names mm-hmm. so we went to, in Hawaii and I got that JJ butterfly tattoo. Um, and to me, it represents like, I actually have used it in training for my work. When they ask you, you know, what image represents you and your resilience? I draw this butterfly, um, a J and a backwards J. It is what represents my, my resilience. So I have quite a few, um, images that I use. Um, and that one is one that I have very special regard for because it represents uh, my dad's girlfriend who passed from cancer. It represents my cancer journey and my kids drew it. So that one's really important for me. So I think that part of my cancer journey and part of my resiliency here is um, finding moments Mm. throughout the journey that were beautiful. Because like, and when I look back, I've actually told people that that year was one of my greatest years of my life. And I had a double mastectomy. I had a bilateral mastectomy that year. And I had so many amazing moments that um, I can pull from that 
are they far surpass the the tougher struggles um, of having breast cancer and then having reconstruction surgery and all of that in that one year time span. I finished my last surgery official like full surgery was December fifth, I believe. So I finished everything in that one year time span. Hmm. That's such a um, look for the moments of beauty. Um, were you able to do that in the moment? Like in, you know, I, I see I see lots of that happening through your story with your pooping unicorn and, <laughs> and the dandelion. And did you did you know you were doing that in the moment? Or is it, you know, kind of looking back now you're you're seeing like, oh, that was that was the key for me. You know, you know, I don't know. I did have people tell me, and I always thought it was weird. Um, I did have people tell me, you've handled this so beautifully. Um, and I heard it a lot. And I thought, that's a weird thing to say to somebody. Mm-hmm. Because because it's the, those surgeries are not pretty. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, it's not beautiful. It's I, I had a, a colleague from work um, came over for the meal train and brought her daughters. And she texted me later and said, um, they were scared of you. You looked really ill. <laughs> and I thought, and I said, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I don't feel great. Thanks. You know, I hadn't showered and washed my hair. Um, so I don't think that I had any inkling that I was doing it in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just later. I will, <laughs> I will say, so the, I, it's maybe just my sarcastic personality. Um, I woke up from having my surgery and the first one. And um, I just remember there were a bunch of people in my room and it was really dark. It might not have been, but in my memory, it was really dark. And there was a person with the, you know, the medical cart and she was trying to ask me questions. And she said, <laughs> she said, how much do you weigh? And I said, with all these people in the room, my whole family was in there. And I said, before or after? And then I heard mm. a bunch of people laugh. And that's really when I knew how many people were in the room um, because it was so dark. And then they said, how many kids do you have? And I said, a lot. Because we <laughs> <laughs> because we really do. And, you know, as far as the national average, we have more than the national average, right? And so um, she said, well, it sounds good to me. And she said I was doing great and, and left the room. And so, um, you know, those are the types of things that I remember. I'm sure I said some other things <laughs> that maybe other people remember that maybe weren't as nice, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, but those are the types of things that I have for the memories from that time frame. Mm. Our mind um, does some tricky things with us, doesn't it? It um, helps you sometimes by blacking out things, and um, yeah, mm-hmm. it does. Mm-hmm. Well, I really um, value and appreciate and want to say thank you so much for for your courage and your vulnerability um, in sharing your story and talking to us about. Um, you know how how you continue to kind of you know find find your footing um, through everything that you've dealt with with breast cancer and advocating for yourself. Um, is there anything else you would like to talk about? 
Oh, goodness. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. I'm sure there's other things that I will end our interview and think, oh, I could have said this. Um, this is a great one for people to use too. Um, but I do just advocate for people to make sure that if they think something's wrong, that they don't take the no for an answer. Mm. If they feel like something's wrong, keep looking. Um, and then also to find those positive, beautiful moments through the journey because it's a horrible journey, but during that time people come together and it's there's beautiful parts to it so I really got to spend a lot of time with family that I I wasn't typically going to be spending time with um you know just little things here and there that will I will just have a flash um my dad (laughs) my dad bringing me a bunch of Harry Potter stuff after my surgery in the hospital. And then I remember um, somebody had gotten like a duplicate or somebody had wanted to order something or had already ordered, but it was also Harry Potter and it was the same thing. And they were both like, but I got that for her. And, you know, (laughs) like like I remember these goofy things. Like, um, you know, I I got a lot of Harry Potter stuff because I love Harry Potter. Um, And and not that you want to have cancer so you can get some Harry Potter stuff, you know, but like Mm -hmm. there's beautiful moments that I got to share um, with my family and, and experience so that when I look back on it, the journey wasn't as bad. I mean, it was rough, but it, the, the look back is prettier than the climb up. Right. Mm -hmm. So at the top of that hill, the, the view is beautiful, but as you're waking, making your way up, it's pretty difficult. And that's really true when it comes to cancer. So, and, and many, many other, um, hills that you climb, but I'm, you know, I think that's about it for me. Well, thank you so much again, um, again, just for being courageous and vulnerable um, with everyone uh, so that others can connect um, with you and your story of resiliency through through a unbelievable time in your life. No, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to And Life Happened. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will continue to listen and like our podcast. If you would like to support our podcast, you can do so by sharing this with others to build our community of resilience. To stay updated on the latest information, please follow us at and underscore life happened on Instagram. If you would like to share your life happened story of resilience, please complete the form in our Instagram bio. These are our personal stories, and we are not mental health professionals. This is not a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be relied on as health or personal advice. Thank you.